Mark chapter 11. Mark 11. Hopefully you're learning the drill that we look in the scriptures every week and hopefully you're lost without it. If I ever preach a sermon that you don't need your Bible for, someone come, come correct me, rebuke me. But Mark chapter, I said 11, it's going to be 10. We're going to finish chapter 10 this week. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be one maybe in the front of you or maybe find one, take one from your neighbor. Um, but, but Mark chapter 10, we're going to be in verses 46 through 52. So that last section there of Mark chapter 10. Well, I wonder how many of you have heard the name John Newton? How many of you have heard of the name John Newton before? And if you have, I wonder what you know about him. So if you do know of him, if you have, some of you I know you've, you've never heard of him, but if you have, I wonder what you know about him. My guess is that if you do know about him, you know about him from a hymn that he wrote. John Newton is the author of, of what is probably one of, if not the most famous Christian hymn of all time. So the, the, the hymn's title, Faith's Review and Expectation. How many of you have heard that hymn? Right? No? Okay, maybe you know it by its, its more common title, Amazing Grace. Right? So it was originally titled Faith's Review and Expectation. I guess it didn't do well on iTunes, so they had to change the name. Um, but, but nonetheless, John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Um, and he actually, he wrote hundreds, hundreds of hymns along with that. And he wrote them, he was a pastor of a church, he wrote them for the, the church's singing on Sunday nights. They have a Sunday evening service, and he'd write these hymns. He wrote hundreds of them and, and put this, it was the only hymn book, Olney was, was the little town in England where he was, was the pastor. I mean, so he, he wrote, this is just one of the hundreds that he wrote that made it into that hymn book. One of the reasons that that, that hymn is so powerful is because of John Newton's story, because of his biography. He was no ordinary hymn writer or pastor. In fact, he called himself, and what he's been known as, is the great blasphemer. Okay, so he writes about himself. He was the great blasphemer, blasphemer. He was a, a sailor. who he, his, he had a Christian mother who hoped that he would go into ministry, but he forsook the faith of his mother and was a sailor, and he led many other sailors down his path of of atheism and idolatry. And he, I mean, he would, rec- he would admit that freely, that he led many, many astray. And his life and his sailing led him to become a major player in the African slave trade. So he started out, he, he was a, a hand on these, on these slave ships that were leaving from England to go over to Africa and to bring slaves back to England. So he played a, played a large part in that, and he eventually rose to the rank of captain. So that he owned a slave ship that would be used in the slave trade. It was in the midst of, of this life, this slave trading life, that God awakened John Newton, that he radically saved him and transformed his life. Unfortunately, he would continue in the slave trade for a few more years. So he, he's converted, but he, he continues in the slave trade for a few more years. But then he would he'd be haunted by the great evil of, of being involved in this. And in fact, late in life, he would, he would, he would have nightmares about the slaves that, that he had played a part in. And so he was so convicted of it. And so he would, he would leave. He would say God providentially rid him or, or delivered him from that um, practice. And then he would, he would later become one of the most powerful voices against the slave trade. And so there's a movie called, I think it's called Amazing Grace. It came out a few years ago. But it's about a man named William Wilberforce, who was a, a member of parliament he was very influential. I mean, that was his cause in life to, to fight against the slave trade in Parliament there in England. 
And, and John Newton was a mentor of him, and so he was used powerfully um, in, in the lives of, of Wilberforce and, and then affected many others. Um, so fascinating stories. In fact, I put a biography of John Newton out on this bookshelf. If you, if you want it, read it, but, but always bring it back, okay? Um, if it's a free book, it'll say free book. That's not a free book, but you're welcome. John Newton is a fascinating story. But knowing, all that to say that knowing the story of John Newton makes Amazing Grace uh, a powerful song. I mean, it's, it's a testimony of sorts. So that he had literally, I mean, think about it as a sailor, many dangers, toils, and snares, he had already come. So he, he had been what he thought at the end of his life many times at, at sea. But, so, and, and, and so, so knowing history makes it more powerful. But, and we're, we're almost done with this introduction, I would argue that it's not simply John Newton's biography that has made Amazing Grace one of the, if not the most, famous Christian anthem. So it's not just the fact that he was a slave trader who was converted and he wrote that song, but rather, I think that Amazing Grace has been as influential as it has been because it's not just his story, but it's our story, right? The, the, the song Amazing Grace is, is biographical of every Christian. And so what makes those simple lines so powerful? So when we sing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, if you're a Christian, you've come to that point before. Right, if you hear that and say, some wretch needed God's amazing grace, but not me, right, if that's your thought, then it's, you're not a Christian. Right, so when we sing, a wretch, we all were wretches, and God's amazing grace saved us. So when we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I say, as we sing those, they, they resonate with us. It's our story. And so these lyrics are powerful, and it's, it's, a, it's a, an anthem of Christians throughout the ages. And it, it's simple, but, but it's powerful. And I, and I start this way because that's the same dynamic that we're going to see this morning in our passage. We're going to encounter a simple story. There's going to be a, a miraculous healing. But we have before us a picture which ought to deeply interest the soul of every Christian because this is our story in a sense. So we're going to encounter Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, Bartimaeus, and, and we, as we read this story, as I read it in just a moment, we're, we should identify with him. If you're a Christian, you ought to identify with his story. And in this story, we're going to find that Bartimaeus finds hope in the merciful son of David. So that's, that's the point of our sermon, that, 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 that Jesus is a merciful son of David, a merciful Messiah. So it's going to be encouraging for us as we find ourselves in this story. But well, let's, let's read the, the verses this morning. So Mark chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 46. I'm just going to read through the end of the chapter. So Mark 10, beginning in verse 46. You can follow along as I read. And as they came to Jericho, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he said, call him. And they called the man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he, he, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Master, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately 
he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Well, that, that's, our, that's our passage. Those are our verses. Short, short verses, a short story, simple story. Let, let's, let's look through these. I've broken them down into two sections. The, the cry of Bartimaeus, we see in verses 46 to 48. And then we see the response of Jesus. So it's a cry of Bartimaeus, the response of Jesus. Those are the, the two, two sections. So let's, let's begin in verse 46, looking at the cry of Bartimaeus. So, so as we've been going through Mark's gospel, do you remember where we are in Mark's gospel? Do you remember what, where, where he's going, what lies ahead? And do you remember the city? It's, a, it's an important city that he's going to. He's going, if you don't remember, look back up at, at verse 32 of chapter 10. Because that, that's what Mark recorded earlier. As they were on the road, they're going up to Jerusalem. Okay, so there's this envoy. Jesus has, 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 has his face set towards Jerusalem, and that's where they're going. And so him and his disciples are heading there. And as we know, it's not just any trip to Jerusalem. They're not just going there for, for the Passover. Right? They're going there, as Jesus has made perfectly clear, they're going there because that's where Jesus is going to lay down his life. That's where he's going to be handed over into the hands of sinful men. That's where Jesus is going to die, be crucified. That's where they're going. It's hard to imagine the mind of Jesus as he's going there. He knows what's going to happen. But as they're going, the day is approaching. He knows he's going to be crucified. He knows he's going to die. But yet he, he still goes, which, which makes this occurrence even more telling. Because Jericho is about 20 miles northeast of Jerusalem. So they're getting close to Jerusalem. They're getting close to the end. They aren't far now. And they come to Jericho. And in the midst of this march to Jerusalem, and, and we could say in the midst of, of this march to death, we're introduced to another character on the way to Jerusalem. And notice verse 46. There's Jesus, there's his disciples, there's a great crowd. But then, sitting by the roadside, Mark says, is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus, who is a blind beggar. And notice that, that Mark says it's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, or Timaeus. Not only does, he, does Mark give us his name, but it's his father's name also, as if to say, oh, th- this isn't just any old Bartimaeus. Right? The, the son of that, that's almost a, a last name. It, it's, it's that Bartimaeus, the one who's the son of that man, Timaeus. It's as if Mark is wanting his audience to know exactly who this blind man is. And it, it's fascinating, if, if, you don't, if, you ha- if you don't notice, often Mark, or any of the gospel writers for that matter, don't give the name of the individual that's healed. So when you have these healed, it's, 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 well, there's Jairus, but it's his daughter who's healed, or it's the woman, or it's the man, or the paralytic. They're, they're not named. But here, Mark gives his name. And one reason, which I, I just find fascinating, is that, and many, all, many commentators agree, that, that this man would probably go on to be a leader in the church. So that Mark would say, oh, th- this just isn't any b- blind man. This is Bartimaeus, the son of T- Timaeus, the, you know, that guy. And so his first audience would likely have known who this man was. I just think that's fascinating. Think about this man who would go on and, and be a pillar, a leader in the church, but, but he's not there yet because right now he's just a blind beggar who's sitting by the roadside. So not uncommon, this, this would have been certainly the case as, as Passover. So, so during the celebration of Passover, there'd be many Jews going to Jerusalem. The, the road to Jericho would be heavily traveled. And you'd find Bartimaeus, you'd find beggars, you'd find the, the, the path, the roadway littered with people begging for alms, for food, for, for anything from the passerbys. In fact, they were, they were, they were, they were dependent on the mercy of those passing by. And so Bartimaeus sits there. Certainly he's not alone. There's others there, but, but Mark focuses, focuses in on Bartimaeus. And so look what happens there in verse 47. Bartimaeus, it's just a normal day until verse 47. 
when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So Bartimaeus sitting there hears that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Apparently he'd heard the rumors of this man. He'd, he'd heard stories. Maybe he'd even heard about the blind man from Bethsaida. If you remember back in Mark chapter 8, we, we read about that man, the blind man from Bethsaida. Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is passing by, and he knows he's heard of Jesus. And so when he hears that, that Jesus is passing by, he begins to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, think about it. Try and picture this, this, this scene. It's crowded. Lots of people, a large crowd following Jesus. Lots of people, dusty roads, just, just, just a lot of traffic. So when Bartimaeus cries this, it's got to be a pretty loud cry if he wants to be heard. So, so I think it's loud just because of the context. But, but what happens in verse 48 shows, I would say, that it's even louder than normal. Look at what happens in verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Many rebuked him. Mark doesn't say who the many are, but we can assume it. It's part of the crowd. It's probably other beggars sitting there beside him. Maybe. Maybe it's even the disciples. We hope they've learned the lesson, but but we know them pretty well. So it could be the disciples rebuking this man. And so they're saying, stop it. I thought about, I couldn't think of a good example or experience, but but that that fan at 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 the sporting event that just won't shut up. You're like, just be quiet already. They can't hear you. Right? And are they really going to call the different play? Are they, are they going to listen to what play you suggest they run? Right? Just the annoying hindrance as you're sitting there. I think that's, that's part of what's going on here. Be quiet, blind beggar. Do you think this Jesus is going to listen to you? You're wasting your voice. So they saw in Bartimaeus, they saw in this blind man a nuisance, an insignificant beggar, someone not worth the time of an important rabbi who's passing by on his way to Jerusalem, but, but notice how Bartimaeus receives the rebuke. Does he, does he shut up? Does he slouch in embarrassment? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to be that loud. Is he ashamed? Does he realize, who am I to think that this rabbi would listen to me? Is he ashamed, embarrassed? Does he, does he care what others are saying? Look what Mark says. After many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, Mark says that he cried out all the more. All, one other translation says that many tried to hush him up, but he yelled all the louder. So this is, it's, a, it's as if their attempt to quiet him only provoked him to louder screams and yells. Unfazed by the rebuke of many, Bartimaeus yelled all the more, Son of David! Mercy! Have mercy on me, Son of David! Have, have mercy on me, Son of David! Have, have mercy on me! Over and over and over as Jesus is passing by. Can, can you hear the cry? It, it, it was a cry, wasn't it? Bartimaeus was crying, yelling, calling out of his despair. He, he was helpless. He couldn't make himself see. He was helpless. He needed someone else to help him. He needed a remedy, and he wanted to be made, he wanted to be made well. And so it's a cry out of, out of need. He knows his need, and he cries out. It's safe to assume that Bartimaeus wasn't crying like this to every passerby. So it's a cry that looked to Jesus. Right, that, that's part of why he cries. He hears Jesus is coming. I'm crying to this one. So it's a cry that looked to Jesus. Maybe he'd been asking everyone for alms, for a little bit of help, help me. But when he hears that Jesus is passing by, things change. He recognized in Jesus someone with an ability to change him, to, to, to remedy his situation. And a lot of commentators, if you read this, they'll, they'll make a big deal about Bartimaeus referring to Jesus as the son of David. So they say, what does he mean? That, that's not commonly used in 
in Mark's gospel, and Jesus never refers to himself about that, so they want to know, well, what, what does Bartimaeus mean? And there's lots of discussion. But I, I, I don't think the point of Bartimaeus' cry is the title, but rather why he's crying to the one that he refers to as the son of David. Right? It's about Jesus, and it's about the cry and the motivation. I mean, uh, let me be clear. Jesus doesn't reject being called the son of David. Someone, so someone says, well, that's not, a, that's not a proper title for Jesus. Well, Jesus seems to accept it as a proper title. He doesn't say, no, 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 that's not, that's not who I am. So he doesn't correct Bartimaeus. And I would say there's certainly biblical warrant for understanding Jesus as the heir to the Davidic throne, the son of David. I think there's, there's plenty of warrant for that. Jesus was the son of David, and, and certainly Bartimaeus doesn't understand the fullness of the identity of Jesus as, as the disciples didn't either. Right? No one would understand who this man was fully or totally till, till after the, the, the burial and resurrection and the, the descending of the Spirit, but simply as, as, he's, as Bartimaeus is crying out to Jesus, he's recognizing Jesus as the one from whom he could expect the gracious mercy of God. He says, have mercy on me. And so there's just a recognition in this cry that, that Jesus can do something. And so it's a cry that looks to Jesus and it looks to Jesus for mercy. He, 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 wants, he wants something and he wants Jesus to show him mercy. Bartimaeus knew his need, and he knew that only Jesus and only mercy from Jesus could remedy his situation. He needed the pity of this passerby, this son of David. I mean, I was reminded of of the relationship between King David, so we're we're jumping way back in time. King David, Old Testament, 2 Samuel 9, had a relationship with a man named Mephibosheth. Okay, maybe if any of you are having children any soon, might I recommend Mephibosheth? Okay, but, but Mephibosheth, a great character to be familiar with because David... Well, if you remember, he had a rocky relationship with King Saul, but, but David loved Jonathan, Saul's son. And so when David or when Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle, David wants to show kindness to the, their line, to their family, for the sake of Jonathan. So he's asking all of his, his, his court, well, is there anyone left in the line of Saul that I can show kindness to for the sake of Jonathan? And then there's Mephibosheth comes up. This is a, a descendant, a son of Jonathan, a son of Saul, that that's still there. And so David says, don't fear, for I'm going to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And here's what David, the king, says to Mephibosheth. He says, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So, all, so here's this Mephibosheth, not, not at all involved in the, in, the, in the royal line now because David's king, Saul and Jonathan are gone. And the king says, I, I'm, you're going to be part of my household now. You're going to always eat at my table. And so Mephibosheth, this is in 2 Samuel 9, it says, He paid homage to David and he said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And so the king shows mercy, shows pity to Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth is humbled. Why would you do this? So Mephibosheth, 2 Samuel records, ate at David's table like one of the king's son. He lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. And then here's this interesting note. Now, he was lame in both his feet. And so it's an amazing account, just as it is, but, but then when we find out that Mephibosheth was, was disabled, he was lame in both feet, he, he was useless in that society. And David says, you're like my son now. It's a, it's a powerful relationship where, where the king shows pity to the one in need. 
And so I was reminded that as Jesus is passing by, the son of David, and you have this, this invalid, this blind man who, who's been debilitated, crying out, show me mercy. He's crying out for mercy. And then lastly, notice about the cry is it looked to Jesus for mercy, and this cry it couldn't be silenced. It was persistent. He was convinced Jesus is his only hope. And when he was convinced of that, there's no shutting him up or stopping him. So that's the cry of Bartimaeus. Well, let's, let's look at the response of Jesus there, verses 49 through 52. So you see the cry. Well, what about the response of Jesus? <clears throat> As often is the case there with, with Jesus, when, when some people come to him seeking aid, they don't know how he's going to respond. I think about the, the woman with the issue of blood where she kind of sneaks through the crowd and touches him. And he says, everybody freeze. But there, there's a pause at that moment, and she doesn't know how he's going to respond. So here, as he's passing by, Bartimaeus is crying out, but he doesn't know how Jesus was going to respond. He knew that Jesus could heal him. I think that's evidence from his cry. But he didn't know if Jesus would stop, if Jesus would hear him. After all, this, this was an important man on a mission, and there's a large crowd around him. I mean, was, was this blind beggar really worth the time of Jesus? Maybe that's, what, maybe that's what Bartimaeus wondered. Well, he didn't have to wonder too long because look there at verse 49. Look down at verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said, call him. So this whole crowd is going, Jesus stopped. Pull the brake, everybody freeze. He did hear the cry of this one. He heard Bartimaeus, and, and everything stops. <clears throat> and, and look, I, it's, yeah, I'm frustrated, but look at how quickly those who were a moment ago rebuking him. Right? So many are saying, be quiet, be quiet, he's not going to listen to you. <clears throat> Look when Jesus stops and Jesus says, call him. Notice the voice of the crowd now, how quickly it sh- changed because now they're encouraging him. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. Right, a total turnaround, 180. Oh, he doesn't care about you. Jesus says, call him. Oh, oh he's talking to you, get up, get up. Right, how, how, how frugal, how, how quickly they, things change for these. Now, I mean, just think about Bartimaeus. Remember that he's blind, which means... When Jesus stops, he doesn't really know that he stopped, right? There's lots of traffic, lots of dust, lots of noise, but Jesus stops. He doesn't see him stop. He probably didn't know when, when Jesus says, call him. A blind man doesn't, doesn't make eye contact with Jesus and say, oh, me? Now, he has no clue. He's blind. So he's just sitting there calling out and calling out and calling out. And then instead, so Jesus hears him and says, call him. And so he gets in, so the people, the obstacles, the, one, the obstacles to, to the call then become advocates saying, yeah, go, 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 he's talking to you. Maybe even some of them offered a hand and said, here, let me help you up. But I don't think Bartimaeus was interested in the aid of anyone else, especially those around him. Right? I think verse 40, he gets up upon hearing that Jesus is calling him. He threw off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. There, there's, there's this excitement that comes when he hears that Jesus has called for him. And so he gets to Jesus, look at verse 51. Does it seem strange that, that, that Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Right? Is that strange? Well, Jesus, this is a blind man. I mean, obviously, no. Right? Why do you ask that question? I was reminded of, of last week. Look up at, at verse 36 of Mark 10. Back at verse 36, where Jesus says to them, now he's talking in different contexts, but he says, what do you want me to do for you? So same question. So when I read that in this passage, I thought, well, we heard that before. Remember last week with James and John? They come proud and they say, we want, to, we want to be at the place of authority. And so they come and Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And that question is to reveal their pride. So they say, you, it's, you can't have it. You don't know what you're asking. 
Well, here it's a different context. Same question, but it's a different context. There's a different intention. I mean, obviously the cause of, of Bartimaeus' distress was clear. Jesus knew everyone knew the cause of his distress. But this question, it's designed to strengthen the faith of Bartimaeus. So that Bartimaeus now has to verbalize exactly what he wants from Jesus. It's, it's to strengthen his faith. Jesus forces him to reflect on what he truly wants from him. I mean, would Bartimaeus say, well, I'm here. Can I just have some money? You've given me ear. Let me just have some money. Or is Bartimaeus bold enough to say, I want to see. And that's exactly what he says. Let me recover my sight. Rabbi, I want to see. Now, that, that word rabbi, I don't think that's the best translation because that's a, it's, a, it's an elevated form of rabbi. Rabboni, so, so rabbinai, some, some translations say master our Lord. This is a term of respect. He's not just saying, oh, you're just a teacher. This is, this is a term of respect. And in, more importantly, this, he says, I want to see, which recognizes that, that this man can make me see. So, so even if he does just refer to him as a teacher, he's not just an ordinary teacher because he's asking him for something that you wouldn't ask an ordinary teacher. In this response, Bartimaeus is affirming his trust in the gracious mercy of God and his power to heal. And so from his cry to his request, verbalized requests, he doesn't change. He recognizes that Jesus is the merciful one, that Jesus is the one who can change things. And then in verse 52, the outcome, Jesus says to him, go your way. Go your way. Your faith has made you well. Which I, we've seen his faith on display throughout. But your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So this healing was immediate. Notice that there's nothing spectacular about the healing itself. right? There's not this magic word or, or this phrase. There's not a command of, I cast you out. Like he did in some cases with the demons. There's not, it's not even a touch. There's nothing there's, in fact, a conspicuous, as one author put, a conspicuous lack of emphasis on the course of the miracle itself. It's just like, and it, and it happened. Which shows, I would say, that the miracle count isn't about the miracle itself. That's not the point. The point is the man behind the miracle. It's about the merciful son of David who says, it's gone, and it's gone. Who says, you're well, and you're well. And so after recovering his sight, Mark records that Bartimaeus, notice, instead of going on his way... But Jesus says, go on your way. Mark records that he follows Jesus. And so we reach the end of, of the last miracle account in Mark's gospel. And just like that, Jesus now is going to move on to Jerusalem. Well, let me close with a few questions or a few points of application. I've got only three of them. <coughs> so so let's, let's apply this passage. First application, I'd say the main one, the one that I started off with in the illustri- in, uh, introduction Namely, that this story is our story. Sto- Bartimaeus' story is our story. This story is always a favorite of Christians in the same way that the hymn, Amazing Grace, is a favorite. We see our story in this story. So if you're here and you're Christian, you are in a state of helplessness. You, you are a blind beggar on the side of the road, unable to fix yourself, unable to save yourself, unable to live the life that you were created to live. If you're a Christian, at one point in time, you recognized your state. And more importantly, you sought Jesus as the remedy for your estate. So if you're a Christian, this is you. You called out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And like Bartimaeus, you received mercy. If you're a Christian, it's because God has shown you mercy. He sent his son for you. You're not turned away. Jesus didn't pass by you. So if you're a Christian, this is good news. This is encouraging that Jesus stops. 
and shows mercy because, because we are recipients of the same mercy. Jesus laid down his life in order to guarantee that any who apply for, to him for mercy will not, cannot be turned away. Right? A cry for mercy is never returned void for, for anyone. Jesus is merciful. So if you're a Christian here today, and th- this is your story, and we ought never tire of hearing of the merciful Savior. Right? You should read this and say, praise God. We ought never to tire of hearing about the merciful Savior who gave his life as a ransom for many. But, before we move on to a second application, let, let me just make an appeal to anyone who's here and is not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, this is not your story. At least all of it's not your story. The first half is still your story. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you are in a state of helplessness. You are, as it were, a blind beggar on the side of the road. You're in need of mercy your need of healing, your need of forgiveness, your need of, of life. If you're not a Christian, that's true of you. If you aren't a Christian, if you aren't trusting in Christ, if your faith isn't in Jesus, then here this, this morning, you're in great need. You need a merciful son of David. And the good news for you today is that, that Jesus is merciful. And so this morning, I'll just appeal to you that, that Jesus is passing by. I mean, think about this message, this time as as your chance to call out for mercy. Call out to him. Cry out to Christ. You will receive mercy. You'll see forgiveness, healing, restoration, all from the hand of God. He is merciful. One ancient commentator said, Apply to the Son of David. Lose not a moment. He is passing by, and thou art passing into eternity. And probably wilt never have a more favorable opportunity than now. And so just hear my appeal, right? You will die one day and you will face eternity. And my prayer is that you might enter that eternity knowing the merciful Son of David. And so cry out to Christ. He will save you, whoever you are. If you're not a Christian, the only way for you to apply this passage is to follow the example of Bartimaeus and find joy, life, healing in Christ. And so I'd love to talk with you afterwards during the singing in a moment. You can come forward and I'd love to talk with you. But second application, the right response to mercy. The right response to mercy. So so in the account of Bartimaeus, I think we see the life of a true disciple. Do you notice it in verse 42 after he's healed? Jesus says, go on your way. And Mark makes a point to say that he followed Jesus. Right, so Jesus says, go, go on your way. And Bartimaeus says, no, thank you, I'm following you. So, so Bartimaeus goes into Jerusalem with Jesus. So we assume that he sees all that happens in Jerusalem. And how's that for, for a first week of faith? Right? Following him. What, what are they doing to him? Crucified. Right? Bartimaeus doesn't go on his way. He follows Jesus. And when someone truly experiences mercy from Christ, everything changes. Bartimaeus may have gone only there for his sight, but he got much more, didn't he? The fact that he gets up and follows Jesus shows that he had found something much greater than even his sight. If it was just about his sight, he's gone. Thank you very much. I got what I wanted. But in getting his sight, his eyes were opened to something much greater than the physical reality of of seeing. He saw Jesus. He said, I'm not going anywhere else. I'm following you. So this is the the right response to mercy. This is the, the response of a disciple It's about them following the merciful son of David. And so I'd simply ask, has your experience of mercy transformed your life? What's different? Are you following Christ? How do you view your life, your purpose, your existence? How do you view it differently, having received mercy? 
Have you responded to the mercy that you've been shown in Christ? And finally, the, the last question of application. What do you want from Christ? What do you want from him? So, so I mentioned that question. It, it came up last week, comes up again. So I just want to ask, what do you want him to do for you? Right? So he's what he asked James and John. This is what he asked Bartimaeus. So I'm just asking you, if Jesus came to you and said, what do you want me to do for you? What, what, what's your answer? How'd you answer that question? The answer to that question with James and John, Kate, James and John's case and with Bartimaeus' case, it revealed a lot about the ones who answered the question, didn't it? And so I'd simply ask, well, what, what do you want? What do you want Christ to do for you? I mean, a lot of things could be asked for, couldn't it? Couldn't they? Could we, health? Longer life? Re- resolution to family issues? Maybe you're in financial straits? Maybe, maybe you, you see the problem of our nation, and that would be your request. Maybe you have personal issues or needs. I mean, I, I can think of lots, lots, and lots of things that, that could ask. And my question to you would be, what's the one thing that you would ask of him? Well, what's the one thing that you desire most from Jesus? If he, if he came and said, what, what do you want me to do for you? What, what would you say? I mean, as I thought about this, I mean, I would probably ask, I, I'd say, make me more like you. I'm not saying that just, just because I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to say things like, but, but because I really mean that. I mean, I get tired of living in this fallen world. I get tired of my failure to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I get tired of that, frustrated at my inability to do that. I get tired of, of being satisfied and allured by worldly things. That's tiring to me. I don't want that to be the case. I get tired of my flesh and, and the world and, and Satan all seeking to derail me. I, I get tired of that. So I'd say, Christ, make me like you. Heal me now. I don't, I don't want to struggle in this world anymore. That'd probably be what I ask. But here, here's the point I want to make, and here's, here's why I even bring this up. I, I'm not here to tell you what's right and wrong to ask of him. Okay? Maybe, that, maybe that's a good thing. I think that's a good thing to ask. Okay? I think that would be good if you asked that. And whatever you're thinking of, it would probably be a good thing to ask. So I'm not here to say what's right and wrong, but what I'm here to tell you, the reason I want you to think about what you would ask of Christ is because you ought to ask him for it. Whatever you thought about, you ought to ask him for it. Whatever it was, ask him for it. Call out to him for it. Because, here's why, as believers, as Christians, the good news is anything we ask, I mean anything we ask of him, the answer will be merciful. Even when it's no. So ask away. Ask whatever you want because we know that the answer will be merciful. We are guaranteed a merciful answer, whether he grants a request or not. His dealing with us is merciful always. That's good news, Christian. Right? We're not going to ask something and, and get the wrath of God. Right? Ask freely, trusting that God is merciful and will grant you according to his will. And so, so Christian, ask away. Call out to him. That, that's never a bad application to, to call out in prayer for mercy, for, for anything. So what do you want for Christ to do for you? What do you want Christ to do for you? Ask away. He may grant your request. He may not. But be certain, brother, sister, his answer will be merciful. So ask away. Well, let, let's pray as we close. Father, this morning, this, this afternoon, it's good news for us that Christ is, is the merciful son of David. And so we thank you that that, that mercy was shown in, in the shedding of his blood and the giving of his own life on the cross. 
And so I pray that you would help us to, to think rightly about Christ, about life in this world. Help us to, to worship our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.